This week, the title of the sermon is Longing for Peace in a Distressed World. And the theme of our service and the theme of Advent this Sunday is the theme of peace. Ironic, perhaps, that I should be speaking about peace because it seems like every Sunday just before worship, especially on online Sundays, um, there's an argument about something in the Davis home. And we uh, strive for peace in our home. But, you know, if your home is anything like mine, we uh, some days do better than others. And so today is a day that we think about peace. Advent is a season that keeps us grounded, hopefully, during a harried and chaotic holiday season. The sermon series during Advent is called Macro Forces and Micro Responses. As we consider God's peace breaking into the world and into our lives, it may seem overwhelming to consider how we can actually make an impact for peace in the world. I mean, the name of our church is Peace of Christ, after all. Macro and micro are economic terms, and they mean, uh, macro means the big picture, of course, and micro means small or localized in terms of economics. In our world today, there are dozens of big picture situations that we have very little control over. And talking about something like peace can seem daunting or even futile. Consider this. Just in terms of militarized conflict, there are 32 active wars and conflict zones in the world today. And in 15 of those, over 10,000 people have died in the last year alone. It's tragic. Some recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize don't even receive the award for leading people to peace, but instead receive it for raising awareness and simply trying. If people that get the Nobel Peace Prize often can't lead nations to stop killing each other, then what good could I ever do to make a difference for peace in the world? It seems daunting to even think about Not only is there armed conflict in the world, but there are many forms of violence right here in our own nation. Violence against women. Violence against black, brown, and indigenous people. Violence against LGBTQ plus siblings. Bullying in schools. Child and elder abuse. Human trafficking. Anti-Semitism. Religious extremism. Gun violence. Economic violence. Violence against the land and the earth. You think about it, we live in a pretty violent world and a violent culture. It can feel overwhelming to even know where to start when daily we see headlines, both locally and nationally, about these and other forms of violence. Advent is about expectation and longing. So an appropriate question during this season might be, what do you long for God to do in your life? Or what do you expect God to do in the world? You know, even in the scripture passages that we read in today's services, I take issue with how God is portrayed. 
Isaiah 11.5 states that God will execute unjust people. And Paul writes to the Romans that the Messiah came so that God might, quote, rule the Gentiles. When I read descriptions of violence, and uh, there's a, a handout that I made that Jet is going to put in the chat in Facebook. He'll put a link to it. If you want to look at it, you're free to. It has uh, different kinds of violence. There's nine different kinds of violence. And I invite you to consider all the different kinds of violence that there are in our world and the kinds of violence that you may have experienced in your own life, unfortunately. And when I read these descriptions of violence, several words repeatedly pop off the page for me. Control, dominance, harm, lack of consent, and neglect. So, basically, the Bible teaches that God's peace and hope will only come when God kills off the unjust, when God dominates and controls others. It is often said that violence begets violence, but in the scripture it seems to teach that God's violence is necessary for peace and that God's violence is necessary for hope. Boo. That's not the kind of God that I want to worship. And it's ironic that during this time of year we celebrate the Prince of Peace, as Jesus is sometimes called. And in the tradition of my own upbringing, I was taught that the reason that God sent Jesus into the world was because God needed to kill his own son in order that we might not burn in hell for all eternity. That's terrifying. There's nothing peaceful about that to me. And there's nothing good about that news. I used to subscribe to this view including my own understanding of the crucifixion, that God was a violent God and that God's wrath had to be satisfied. I don't buy that anymore. And the theological and ethical cop-out for buying into this view of God, and I would know because it was my cop-out for a long time, is that God's benevolence and peace comes through violence, but God's ways are higher than our ways, so we don't have to understand it. That's an ethical cop-out. That's a theological form of laziness. And these days, it seems to me that that view of God, the view that God needs violence and dominance to bring about peace and hope and forgiveness and reconciliation, does not prove that God's ways are higher than our ways. In fact, if that's your view of God, that would mean that God's ways are exactly like our ways. That God is not a God worthy of worship. And in that view, the peace of God seems a lot like the peace of David or the peace of Rome coming only through coercion and at the tip of a spear. David Fitch, a professor of theology at Northwestern or Northern Seminary, said this, God won't save the world by entering its violence. Rather, God comes taking on the world's violence to undermine it, plus begin a new thing, reconciliation. 
Christ offering his life on a cross subverts the violence of dominant empire. I believe now, at this juncture in my life, that part of the reason that the Bible is sacred is not because it is an errand and not because it is perfect. And it's not because it gives us a perfect picture of who God is. The Bible is a sacred text because it shows how often even the authors of Scripture made God out to be just like themselves and how dangerous that can be. And we can take that as an instructive, sacred warning concerning our own understanding of the divine. So, what does any of this have to do with macro versus micro in this season of Advent? Well, here's the way I see it. I may not be able to stop every form of violence in the world. I would be a fool to think that I could. But I can refuse to believe that God's peace will only enter into the world by violence or corrosion. And so for me, here's where it comes down to a really practical level. In the Romans passage that Aurelia read today, words related to God's peace include steadfastness, encouragement, welcome, and hope. In the Isaiah passage, Isaiah mentions justice and faithfulness and gives a beautiful and compelling vision of how God's peace might reverse all forms of violence and allow even natural enemies to dwell together in harmony. Dr. Christina Cleveland, who was one of the preachers at Nevertheless She Preached, writes this about Advent. Now more than ever, we must rescue Advent from its Western cultural captivity. I sigh with relief when I am reminded that Advent isn't what so many of us think it is. We've been tricked by chocolate-filled Advent calendars and blissful Christmas pageants that gloss over the very real evil that makes Messiah's coming so very necessary, so very loving, and so very heroic. Advent isn't a holiday party it doesn't pressure us to conjure up a hopeful face, ring bells, or dismiss the foulest realities we face. Advent isn't about our best world. It's about our worst world. I think we eat the chocolate and put on the pageants because we don't want to face the worst. End quote. You know, I, I like to think of myself as a peaceful person. But if I'm honest about my deepest struggle in parenting, I've got a deeply embedded tendency to be controlling and domineering. I like to think of myself as a peaceful person. But there are habits I have, including spending and consumption habits that probably bring harm to others, including myself. Growing up embedded in purity culture, or like Kristen said, let's call it what it is, shame culture, I learned nothing about the ethics of consent. And I've had to work hard to think about at this juncture in my own life, how to instill that into our kids from an early age. 
I like to think of myself as a peaceful person, but there are ways that I neglect my neighbor and even have my own biases and microaggressions that I'm still becoming more aware of as a cis white man. Maybe hoping for God's peace and longing for it to enter the world isn't enough, this Advent. Maybe I need to be less controlling and domineering. Maybe I need to consider how I might knowingly or unknowingly bring harm to another. Maybe I can commit to continuing to teach my kids about consent and to avail myself of resources so that I can be ready for those conversations whenever they naturally happen. Maybe there are some relationships that I've neglected that need nurturing, including with myself, my inner self. Maybe I could be a bit more encouraging Maybe I could extend welcome a little better to those who are othered and ostracized in my own life. Maybe I could not grow weary in seeking justice in my own limited sphere of influence. Maybe I could continue to unpack harmful teaching from culture and religious tradition, including the notion that God's way is no different than other domination systems in the world. I wonder if I did any combination of these things in small ways, if I wouldn't bring a little more of God's peace, not only into my own life and into my own home, but into the world around me. Earlier, I stated that Advent is about expectation and longing. And I asked the questions, what do you long for God to do in your life? And what do you expect God to do in the world? Here's another question. Will your expectation and longing lead you to do anything different this week? You know, Advent, as it turns out, is the beginning of the Christian liturgical calendar. And in our culture, we consider it to be the end of the year. But for Christians, it's the beginning. This season of expectation and longing for God to break into the world is not the end of the Christian year, but a new beginning. Theologian Frederick Buchner wrote, For outlandish creatures like us, on our way to a heart, a brain, and courage, Bethlehem is not the end of our journey, but only the beginning. Not home, but the place through which we must pass if we are to reach our home at last. Concerning God's peace breaking into the world this Advent, what would a new beginning look like in your own life? None of us may be awarded a Nobel Peace Prize in our lifetime. I'm sure I never will be. But if we could, even in small ways, make peacemaking a way of living, it would have ripple effects that none of us may ever know or fully comprehend.
And now as the Apostle Paul wrote in the passage that Aurelia read earlier, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.